There's just something about that name. It's going to be eternal. Kings and kingdoms are going to pass away. But there's something about the name of Jesus, our Prince of Peace. And that's why I want to start out today, is by saying shalom. Shalom, oh, so you know how it goes. Shalom, shalom is perfect peace found only in the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, Jesus. And if you're in Israel, or if you're informed, uh, you might uh, hear someone say shalom to greet a friend or an acquaintance or someone they're passing on the street. And then you might even hear them say it as they say farewell. Shalom, in its simplest sense, just means peace in Hebrew. But it has a much deeper meaning. It is perfect peace, harmony, completeness, safety, tranquility, and prosperity. And it's really a blessing. It's a desire for the other person to experience perfect peace in their own life, for them to experience shalom. That sounds good, doesn't it? Perfect peace, harmony, completeness. So let's start off reading from the Word of God, and then let's see where it takes us, and even what it has to do with shalom. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he, God, grants sleep to those he loves. So what does Shalom have to do with Psalm 127? Well, Psalm 127 is part of a series of psalms, Psalms 120 to 134, called Psalms or Songs of Ascent. And there's this thread that runs through many of those Songs of Ascent that have to do with a call for peace or shalom and the peace that grants, that God grants to those he loves. And the, the Song of Ascent are these sort of a playlist for uh, people who are coming to Jerusalem uh, many years ago, hundreds of years ago. They would sing these, sort of get their hearts ready for their, as they arrive in their pilgrimage. Also maybe what the Levites would sing and say as they were ascending the steps to the temple. But why all the in veins? This, there must be an important theme going on here because in two verses, in vain, which in other words means useless, is repeated three times. So how would you like to discover that something that you've been working on for days, weeks, years is suddenly useless, worthless, and a waste of time? You wouldn't like it, would you? But how many want to hear, want to work on something, labor on something with an eternal value. Raise your hand if you want to work on something and you would labor on something that had eternal value. That's me too. So we'll get to that soon enough, but these verses are going to be a jumping off point for us to learn a better way to labor and also for us to find out the big picture 
of what God is up to when it comes to his building projects. So let's go way to the beginning, way, way back to the beginning, because that's where it all starts, right? That's where it all goes back to. So in the beginning, God labored before there was ever any sin that sort of brought a a disruption to God's creation. God worked. So work and labor is not a result of sin. This is something that God did. So labor is good. Let's read in Genesis 1, starting at verse 31, what it has to say. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Say that with me. Very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. You see, there he is. He's working. God is at work. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Not because he's tired, not because he even broke a sweat, but because what he had created was complete. He was done creating. So he rested, and he created a pattern for us. And as we see in the next verse, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He separated, he, he, he set it aside, made it important, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God created the entire universe. He created the Garden of Eden, and he created Adam and Eve, and he made everything perfect. He said it was very good. Perfect peace. Everything was in perfect harmony, complete, done, shalom. And then Adam and Eve, they disobeyed, and they disrupted that shalom, God's perfect peace. And since then, Satan's been allowed to sort of run amok to a point throughout the earth. He's telling his lies, and he's tormenting his people, the people of the earth, in countless ways. But the devil's power is limited. And God was in charge before Adam and Eve, before their disobedience, also called the fall, And he was in charge after the fall, and he's still in charge. God never lost control of the place. The kingdom of God, also called kingdom of heaven, has always existed. But how it was shown and how we see it, in other words, how it's manifested, has changed over time. But God has always been on the throne of his kingdom. And when Jesus came to earth, he introduced to the people of that time a taste of things to come. And in the Gospels, Jesus declares that his presence has brought the kingdom of God near. And in Matthew and Luke, after Jesus cast out a demon from the tormented person, he told the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is here. And the realm of kingdom God is now manifested in a new way here on earth, and this gave Jesus authority and victory over Satan's already limited power. And here's the wonderful thing about the kingdom of God. If we've made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we are part 
of the kingdom. And actually, not just parts, but we are heirs. We inherit the kingdom of God as sons and daughters of a king, the king of kings. Jesus Jesus showed us this in the Beatitudes, the very first Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of God. And poor spirit means someone who realizes that they are in such a state, they are hum- humble to the point, they admit that they need a savior, Jesus Christ. So let me like, connect all this kingdom language into one statement, and we'll see how it fits all together. Our Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords and Prince of peace, when we submit to his kingly authority, we give him permission to rule over our lives. And we choose to serve him in his kingdom, obeying his commands, carrying the kingdom around with us wherever we go and in everything we do. He has defeated death, hell, and the grave through his death and resurrection, and someday he will return to fully establish his kingdom here on earth with a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't that good news? But there is an alternative to the kingdom of God that results in the useless, worthless, royal waste of time that Psalm 127 talks about. Let me remind you, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand, watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and you stay late, toiling for food to eat. You see there again, God is involved, there's blessing, and when God is not It's useless, worthless labor. Psalm 127 describes this vain or useless laboring that we put forth if we're building for our own selfish purposes. Any and all laboring based purely in selfishness is just going to be exhausting. Have you ever been exhausted for pursuing something that just was in vain, you realized, boy, that was, the Lord wasn't in that. No wonder I'm so tired. No wonder I'm so exhausted. It's not going to lead to fulfillment or peace or rest, even though that's what we want, right? We all want shalom, but shalom has, is only a per, the perfect peace that only comes from God. And we long for that. We need the rest. We need a Sabbath. But at the end of the day, at the end of all days, we will just be tired. If all we're doing is just laboring in our own tiny little kingdoms. So our tiny little kingdoms, that's right, compared to the kingdom of God, our own self-centered building projects would be like a tiny kingdom with tiny walls and tiny towers and a tiny little throne, right? We might even have some tiny royal subjects who might do our bidding at least for a little while, 
and maybe we'll even eat off of tiny little silver plates. So we'll raise our hand, raise the, the flag of our tiny little royal family that maybe you're the king or the queen of. And we think of ourselves as noble. And we stand back and we say, look at what I've made for myself through my own power. And the king and queen look over their own tiny, tiny kingdom. What a dangerous place to be. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar said that as those exact same words as he looked out over his kingdom, even though God granted everything to him. And he spent seven years as a wild beast out in the wilderness. It's a dangerous mindset to have, but as we're seeing played out more and more in our culture, there is a belief that I can define my own reality and I can build my own life based on my own truth and my own experiences. And the next thing you know, we have an earth filled with tiny, worthless, useless kingdoms with no solid foundation, no security, no certainty, no truth, no longevity, and no God. Only me and my tiny little kingdom. But the truth is, God does exist. He offers a solid foundation, security, certainty, truth, and eternal life, and he is way bigger than just only me and my little tiny kingdom. And as I said before, he is in control. He's the king of all kingdoms, even the tiny ones. It's just that not everybody believes it yet, but they will. And one day, their knee is going to bow to him as well, right? Right? Their knee, someone's, everybody's knee, whether it comes to a tiny kingdom or they think they have a big kingdom, their knee will all bow to the Lord. But we can choose to just go on selfishly building our own tiny kingdoms Serving ourselves. But the problem comes when we attempt to answer these questions. Who is king of the castle? Who is building the house? And who is keeping watch over the city? Because we know from Psalm 127, if God isn't the answer to all of those questions, it's all going to be a useless endeavor. That's a problem because kingdoms big and small, they have enemies, such as dragons, or in other words, Satan, who just wants to reign terror over our tiny little kingdom. But if we've built our own tiny little kingdom, way far away from God's kingdom, who's going to defend us from the attacks of the devil? How will we survive? We have to surrender our lives and our tiny kingdoms to God. Otherwise, 
dragon's going to have his way. He's going to tear down the, the, the towers, knock over the walls, and we're going to be helpless. And when we do surrender our lives, he rules over our kingdom, clears out the enemy, and brings us into his realm where we will find peace and rest. Which is why kingdom of God living is so much better than selfish, tiny kingdom building. Did you ever hear this, something like this? Oh, there goes Susie from sales. Look at her joking around with everyone. She's making herself out to be pretty popular, building her own little kingdom in the sales department. That Hal, he works so hard making sure he knows everyone in the neighborhood. If you want to meet anyone, just check in with Hal. He'll introduce you, and he's working hard building his what? Own little kingdom. All that kingdom building only goes so far if there are only selfish intents. With no consideration of living by God's kingdom rules or no desire to please God, everything will just be tiny and not last long at all. So what does it look like to be a royal subject of an eternal kingdom? Well, it's going to look different for each person because we each have different callings and experiences. But a royal citizen doesn't build for themselves. Mark that down. They labor instead in a kingdom with eternity in mind, thinking much farther beyond their own lives and even beyond their, their kids' lives or their grandkids' lives. They're a kingdom builder is thinking about eternity, not for their own gain or advancement. So what sort of changes does that require? Because it's always important for us to step back and look at our motivations and the realization of, am I building a tiny kingdom, or am I, am I lined up with God's perfect kingdom? Sometimes it's as simple as taking something that you've been doing all along, but shifting your perspective and priorities to align with God's blueprints. For example, how do we spend our time? Mindlessly binging on Netflix TV shows? Or spending hours upon hours on social media or the latest game app on your device? Sorry. But we have to look at these things and consider them. Are we gossiping? Are we speaking hatefully? Are we living deceitfully? Are we working selfishly? Are you feeding lustful thoughts? Do you, repent, do you represent Jesus well as you bear his name as a Christian or bringing shame on his name? Are you standing firm in your faith, as we've been hearing over the past few weeks, whenever you've been challenged? Are you spending your money wisely? It's actually the king's money, by the way. Is the money that you've been given contributing to spreading the good news of the kingdom throughout the realm, both near and far? How are we using the gifts and talents that we've been given? Have we even asked God to reveal how he can take our skills and how they can be used in his kingdom? 
I don't know how he can use someone who has, who's gifted with engineering in the kingdom. But have we talked to him? Have we asked him, how can I be used? This world is a broken world with lots of problems to be fixed. And sometimes even engineering problems allow us to be part of declaring the kingdom further and further and further. The internet, our phones, our devices, they can, they can sometimes be annoying, they can sometimes distract us, they can sometimes be downright bad, but they can also be a tool to declare the good news of the kingdom, right? I don't know all the ways how God can use you, but I do hope that you stay open and sensitive to his calling in your life. There's a lot of soul searching required when it comes to being a son or daughter of the king. But you're not alone in his kingdom. God is working on your behalf to provide for you, care for you, love you, and shape you into the royal subject that he needs to perform royal duties in the kingdom. There are others throughout the kingdom who are, whom we are called to love on and lean on throughout our service to the king. Kingdom citizens spend time reading the Bible and studying the Bible. They spend time in prayer, not just when they need something, but instead they take advantage of the fact that they have the opportunity to spend time in the presence of the king of the universe. Are you getting that? You, you see how just simple shifts in our habits can make huge differences in our life when we're starting to think eternally instead of just ourselves and our tiny little kingdoms? We also can have an effect in the lives of others in fact, kingdom citizens spend time in community with other believers, in church and in homes, maintaining friendships and doing life together. And while you're at it, check on your kids. Check their devices. Check in with them. Make sure that they're thinking not just of themselves, but of the eternity not just trying to get enough more likes in their posts, but instead, and, and creating a tiny, tiny kingdom all on their own, check on them and make sure instead they're thinking more so about God's kingdom. Check in on your parents. Love on your parents. Check in with your coworkers. Show love of Jesus. To them, show love of Jesus to your neighbors. And that's an important aspect to the kingdom of God and how we live in it. People need to be loved. It's all about loving God, our king, and loving others. The kingdom of God isn't a network of castle walls and tall towers and stately, quaint, or a stately and quaint 
medieval homes. God's intention is for his kingdom to be filled with people. Pastor Noah and his team and the, and the student ministry went to church on fire this past February, and the theme for the conference was Make Heaven Crowded. Isn't that great to think, just to picture that? What if we all lived our daily lives to make heaven crowded? This kingdom laboring is still going to stretch us, and it's still going to be work. But it will have so much more value and so much less wasted time. Going forward, I want to encourage you to ask God to reveal the kingdom opportunities in everything you do and in everywhere you go. In fact, in a few moments, we're going to, I'm going to give you that opportunity as we take our place at the communion table. The simple yet beautiful design of God's kingdom is for us to reach out as, God, as kingdom citizens, to share the good news of the kingdom with others. Let's declare how our need for Savior required Jesus' death on the cross. But through his death and resurrection, the drawbridge has been lowered to this great kingdom. Our God is knocking at our tiny kingdom's door. And we have the opportunity and the choice to lower that drawbridge and let him in. So often, though, we labor unendingly, trying to build a safe haven with overwhelming tranquility, along with prosperity, you know, shalom. But this shalom, or perfect peace and safety, tranquility and prosperity are only available from God. And that's what verse 2 from Psalm 127 is talking about. When we try and create this peace or shalom in our tiny little kingdom, we're always going to fall short and we're just going to die exhausted. But when we place our dependence on the king of kings, the king of the kingdom of heaven, only then will we find perfect peace Shalom and perfect rest, a Sabbath, just how God intended it. So now, let's prepare our hearts as we sit at the communion table. And like I prompted earlier, and as you probably know, Sitting at the communion table is our opportunity for us to check in with God and see and ask him, is what I'm doing aligning with your blueprints, God? We take our tiny kingdom and the blueprints for it and we overlay it over the word of God Sometimes we need to tear down the tower because it's just too tall. It's too much. Sometimes we need to expand and include the people around us in our kingdom. But it's important that we 
truly, honestly ask God and say, God, where are we? Where am I? Is there something that I can do better when it comes to thinking eternally? And I know that's a hard concept to imagine. But it's important that we consider these things because there's very little in this universe that is eternal. Our souls are one and the kingdom of God. We choose whether we live eternally or we experience an eternal death. I choose eternal life. So I'm just going to encourage you to take a moment and check in with God. Check your blueprints. And think about whether or not you're laboring, laboring, laboring. And only turning out a useless, worthless product. Because no one wants that. So let's take a moment. For I received from the Lord that what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we may not finally be condemned with the world. So I want to encourage you right now for a few moments to consider your kingdom building and your labor. Is it restful? Does it lead to rest and peace and shalom? Or does it lead to exhaustion? And ask God how he can redirect your plans to align with his.
Dear Lord God, we thank you for your eternal kingdom. We thank you for your power, which you displayed at the beginning of time. And though your plan was for shalom and perfect peace, things got upended. But you weren't disturbed. You were still on the throne. You only chose it as an opportunity for us to come back to you and to show us how much you truly love us. You sent your son Jesus to die for us so that perfect peace could be restored in our lives. between you and us so we might live with you forever and eternity. We thank you for this bread. And as we, as we consider it, help us remember the sacrifice that you made, what you went through for us. We pray you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Kingdoms of the world. They fight for territory. They fight for power. And it almost always results in sh shedding of blood. And so often, they're needless, useless, worthless wastes of time. And a lot of people lose their lives because of kingdom building. Crazy power, people get in power. And they have this idea that if I could only expand this kingdom, things will be better. Or I will be able to exert my power and I'll feel better about myself. Whatever. There's all sorts of reasons but it always results in innocent bloodshed. But there was one whose innocent blood was shed that was not in vain, that was not worthless, it was not a waste of time. It was the blood of our Savior His blood is powerful. Powerful enough to wash our sin away so that we could stand before our King clean, right, righteous before Him. What a privilege to be part of a kingdom like that where the King said, I'll spill my blood for you. For you. And a kingdom was revealed to us for us to be amazed 
and thankful. Dear God, thank you for your blood, the blood of your son, Jesus. Thank you for loving us enough to send him. And thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the blood to wash away our sins. May we never forget the power within the blood. And thank you for not staying dead. You came back to life to show us that you have not only power over the kingdom of darkness, over death, but you allow us to walk through that too so that we might live with you for eternity. And it's all because of a gracious king who loved us so, 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 so much. Bless us, come. In Jesus' name, amen. God created the universe in the Garden of Eden, in a state of perfection, perfectly at peace. Adam and Eve messed it all up. But Jesus Christ, our King of kings and Lord of lords, brought the kingdom of God near again. And someday when he returns and the kingdom of God is fully established, we will finally experience our true rest in a kingdom set up new heaven and a new earth, not exhausted, not overworked, but fully at rest, at peace in Jesus. So instead of working or laboring all of our life and on our selfish pursuits and then hearing at the end of it that it was all useless, worthless, royal waste of time, how much better will it be? the end of it all when we're told well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful with a few things I put you in charge of many things come and share your master's happiness as we dwell with the king of kings for all of eternity what a gift an inheritance there's nothing we can do except the decision to follow it. Let's continue to do that every day. Dear God, you are great. You are a kingdom builder. We pray you continue to reveal your kingdom and we pray that you use us as we declare your good news of the kingdom everywhere we go, in everything we do. Bless us as we go out and show us the opportunities that we have and give us the boldness and the discernment as to how we can reach more of the lost more of the people who are just building their tiny little kingdoms, if only they would allow you to come in and be their ruler. 
we can make heaven crowded. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, may you, you could all stand for a pastoral blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face shine upon you and give you peace. Shalom. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Happy Labor Day weekend.